right. Good, I'm on. Um, you know what, Russ, just because you don't have notes in front of you right now, do you want to, uh, are we, is Spotify off and are you recording the message? Awesome. Okay. You know, I, I, um, if you walked in here this morning, those of you that are here, uh, you saw the, the beautiful carpet that we have now in this building, and we are so grateful for the way that the Lord provided for us that we could put all this carpet in, uh, in the foyer, in the entrance, in the offices. And uh, you may not notice, but we also had to replace our fire alarm panel this week um, for insurance purposes, and so that's been something we've been holding off on, but uh, we're told that we needed to do it. And so that's, that's a rather actually big expenditure that you really don't see um, any change in the building for. And, and then last night, looks like our pill switch here at the church may have gone for our tank. And so I, I bring that up because these are our practical expenses that the church has, that this is, it allows us to gather in this incredible building that we have and to worship together. And so thank you for your faithfulness in giving and in tithing, um, because all of that matters to us being able to, to run this church. And uh, we're grateful for your faithfulness in that and your obedience to the Lord in that. So, uh, Dwayne, thanks for, for leading the way you have this morning. And, um, you know, as, as we're, as the Holy Spirit leads us, as I'm preaching this morning, let's just be in prayer um, that the, the Lord would be drawing people to this barbecue, right? Like we, we've been inviting a lot of people and, and doing what we can, but really it's the Holy Spirit that's gonna draw people. And we want people to come here and experience the love of Jesus. We, we have an ulterior motive this morning, and that is that we want to show people the love of Jesus, not just give them a burger. Um, it's great, but we, that's what we want to do. So. Um, so we're continuing our series that obviously has, has been mentioned this morning, uh, this I Am series, looking at these claims that Jesus makes in John's gospel that are really so shocking. Like when you really start to contemplate the enormity of what he's saying, they're either total folly, like the, the ravings of a madman, or they're just staggering or, or like arrogance, or they're staggering truth. Really, there's, there's no in-between because of when you really look at what Jesus is claiming, um, if it's truth and we disregard it, it's to our own detriment based on what Jesus is saying. And so in John 8, Jesus is actually, he's speaking to some of the religious leaders about his relationship with the Father and the Father's glory and his glory. And you can imagine that's really stirring the pot with the, the leaders and how he said how Abraham rejoiced at my day and saw it and was glad, Jesus says. And this sent the leaders, that sent them into a tailspin. They're like, how can you say that? You're not even 50 years old yet, and you're saying you were before Abraham? And he says, Jesus said there, he says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. That was the claim when he said that, that the religious leaders were like, okay, we got to put this guy to death. This is it. He has gone way too far over the ledge. But Jesus, what he was doing there was making his divinity clear. He was claiming the name of God, that, that God spoke. When Abraham says, who shall I say is going, who am I, like who's before me? Who are you? And, and God said, I am. That's it. I am. And Jesus is claiming that for himself. And this is why these words that Jesus are, is saying here in the Gospels, if this is true, 
that he is the great I am, and what, I'm cl- what he's claiming is true, they are absolutely the very words of life for us. And so this is why we, we subtitled this series, Seeing Jesus for All He Is. Now, you could be tempted to add to that for us. Seeing Jesus for all he is for us. I didn't do that specifically because we have this tendency to make this all about us. That, it, that we put the focus back onto us. And there's a danger in that, in that we make it more about that than we make it about who Jesus is. And we need to see Jesus above all things. So, if you're like me and you've heard these claims that we're looking at, and I've mentioned this before, but you know, you're, you've, you've heard these claims. You've heard, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Probably hundreds, if not thousands of times. You've heard that. And you're like, it's, it becomes just like, oh yeah, like old hat sort of thing. And the challenge for us again today is to come to this with fresh eyes, fresh ears, to really hear what Jesus is claiming. And now, if you're, if you're watching and these, you've never heard these words before and you're like, this is new to me, I, I pray that this would be the staggering truth that Jesus meant it to be and that it would rock your world. And so this morning, we're looking at this. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, like all these claims that we're looking at, Context is so, so important for understanding. Because Jesus, he had revealed to his disciples before this, he said he had revealed how uh, one of them was going to betray him. He said, one of you is going to betray me. There, and there was this ominous feeling in the, amongst the disciples. You can imagine when Jesus said that, they're kind of going, what, what, what do you mean? And, and so we see when you, when you look at what's going on around what Jesus says here, the disciples are unsure, they're confused, They're perplexed about where Jesus is going. He says to them, where I'm going, you cannot come. You cannot follow now, he says. And and Jesus' response then, in John 14, 1, he says to them, do not let your hearts be troubled. Now, what that reveals is the disciples were experiencing a lot of unrest. They were, they were experiencing feelings of uncertainty. They were experiencing feelings of angst. They were experiencing feelings of worry. Their hearts were troubled. And Jesus addresses it. There's lots of troubled hearts today. Feelings of uncertainty right now is a very visceral emotion for many, many people. And you might wonder why, actually. Like, we don't deal with a lot of the other problems that are going on in other nations. Actually, in general, we have plenty. Even our healthcare, right now, even provincially, as serious as the problems are in our healthcare, it's better than a lot of what the world has available to them. The majority of our society have, has more than most of the world. And many of us have an abundance, an absolute abundance compared to the rest of the people living on this earth. And yet, we feel troubled, really troubled. 
We have friends experiencing this. We have family experiencing this, perhaps even ourselves. We have jobs that have brought us success. We have material wealth. We have unbelievable convenience at our fingertips. Like, come on. You have unbelievable convenience right at your fingertips from the moment that you wake up and you touch any number of electronic devices in your home. It's unreal, the comfort that we have. And yet, we feel troubled. Lots of trouble in the world around us. Lots and lots. The ongoing COVID situation. You know, and, and, and there's so many thoughts swirling around this, right? But one of the things, and we, we talked about this a little bit this week on our Bible study, this, this idea that we live in an instant culture. Like, we expect things instantaneously. We, we got fiber installed in our building here on Friday. Why? Because we want things faster. That's the reality, why we want fiber internet. We want things to be quick. Now, there's reasons for that. But we're conditioned in this respect, and we've been conditioned in this way for years and years and years. The way that our brains process things are being changed by just the very nature of a simple device in our hands, and it's changing the way that our brains think. And so all of this plays a significant impact in how we react to all the various aspects that are out of our control right now. And we're lunging and grasping and trying to get control any way possible because how can we live without control? And then you deal with now in Canada the residential school revelations, which the sins of past generations against the indigenous peoples in our land that hints of, we've known they're being exposed. And this is only the beginning. This is going to have a profound impact on our nation. What the government, in partnership with certain uh, aspects of the church, did in Canada is absolutely reprehensible. It is horrible. What... And we ask, I mean, people are asking all sorts of questions. Why were recent generations so willing to be complicit in this? Why did we justify this for so long? And we're asking, how can we walk in repentance, humility, and grace as a nation without political opportunism taking over? How do we separate what was done in the name of religion from Jesus and who he is and who he wants to be to everyone? We may not even realize how troubled our hearts are because we're stuffing the feelings down. We keep overlaying them with all sorts of opinions, all sorts of theories, all sorts of distractions. Just keep going to this, to that. To keep us from really feeling, okay, what is happening inside of us? Because anything and everything can be a distraction. And Jesus, he said in John 16, later, he says, in, as he's talking to the disciples, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. He says it. He says, it's not like you might have trouble. You will have trouble. He says, but I offer you peace. So trouble is relative but it's guaranteed. It comes and goes. We're going to experience it at times in our lives. Regardless of what's happening right now, we'll get over things and more trouble will come at some point. 
And the wording here that Jesus uses implies we should stop being troubled. He's not patting us on the head going, okay, now, now, it's okay, it's okay. No, he's actually saying, you need to stop being troubled. Set your heart at ease. Jesus is saying, in me there is peace. That's why he says then, trust in God. Trust also in me. And that, when he says that, it's an imperative command. It's not like a suggestion. Hey, hey, you should maybe do this. Trust in God. Trust also in me. If you want peace amidst the trouble of life, what Jesus is revealing is it's found by trusting in me. And it's a choice. It's choices all the time. Now, the disciples are still confused after he says this. Thomas, you know, he is a man of conviction. As I'm reading through John, I'm like, this guy's a man of conviction and he's a man of details. I really like him. He says, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? He's like, he's trying to figure it out, going, Jesus, where are you going? We want to follow. How can we know the way? That's a question that everyone is asking and answers in their life. We, it's like we want a Google map route for our lives. Like, Jesus, just tell us where you're going. We can put it into Google Maps. Actually, we can ask Siri. Hey, Siri, just give us the best route. And hey, you know what? If we don't like this route, Jesus, that, that you're telling us to go, I'm going to pick an alternate route that I think is better. Oh, you know what? I don't like that road. It's got construction. It's got other things that are going to slow me up. No, I don't, I don't like that, Jesus. You know, I'm going to pick this route. Siri told me I can go this way to you. Jesus says, follow me. See, we have this inclination to want to find the way that suits us. We just need to know where you're going, Jesus, and then we'll decide how we're going to do that. Or we want a list of directions. We want, say this prayer. Just do that prayer. Oh, do this, but don't do that. Go here, but don't go there. Say this, oh, but don't say that. As long as you follow the rules, then you know what? Then I can decide what I want to do with the rest of my life. It's about me. Just give me the parameters, Jesus, and then I'm doing my own thing. And this is the thing here. Jesus doesn't respond in the way that we might prefer or expect. He doesn't give the list of do's and don'ts. He doesn't provide a list of expectations. Instead, he responds with this bold claim. In John 14, 6, so it's going to be up here. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Those are, there are three clear, they're clear, but they're profound claims. So how do we understand them? That's, that's really what we want. How, how do we understand this, what Jesus is saying? So Jesus is the way. That's what he first says. Ask kids today, some of you guys who are here today who are middle schoolers, especially if you ask middle schoolers, but even some in elementary, ask them what they want to be when they grow up today. You know what a majority of them now say? You want to guess what they say, what they want to be? A majority of them in middle school. 
a YouTuber. They want to be a YouTuber. No joke. It's really prevalent. So you go, what? Like as, an, as my generation, I go, what? What's, what's driving it? Well, they want to be seen as somebody famous. It's part of the spillover of Instagram culture. It's likes. It's followers. If you get a K after you, your name on Instagram, like you've got thousands of followers, now you're, now you're someone. Now you have, you have real impact. We're being told that this is the way in our culture. If you want influence and affluence, this is what you do. This is the way to validate and to prove your worth. Relevant Magazine had an article this week speaking about how this, there's, it's, it's a new twist on the prosperity gospel. Right? We, growing up in an evangelical culture, we might have experienced the dangers. I know I did of the health, wealth, and the prosperity gospel. Right? All the, the marketing level, get rich schemes that hijacked Bible studies. And you remember that? I do. I remember that as a kid. All the hijacked Bible studies. But there's a shift that's happening. Now there's the added focus of fame. And the younger generations are obsessed with it. This is what this article said. With our iPhones in our hands and demanding our attention, we're an Instagram post or a TikTok video away from some of the most beautiful places in the world and best of our country's culture and other countries. With filtered photos and unfiltered access. With filtered photos and unfiltered access. Wow. To the images of the good life that we could be living, it makes sense that we would want to be a part of it. The thing is, droves of young people are flocking to urban centers out of this, to all the major hubs. They're in search of the curated good life with little plans on how to achieve it. What ends up happening is most of them are left completely disillusioned by what they thought they could achieve. Troubled hearts searching for the way. Jesus doesn't simply offer a way. He claims to be the way. So understanding the context of the discussion, Jesus is speaking as the one, being the one to follow. He's saying, I'm the way. So over the past year and a bit, I don't, I don't know, quite a while, if you've been listening, you've heard me talk about following the way of Jesus. I've talked a lot about it. How do we understand this Christian thing? Really? Is it, is it just an invitation to believe in Jesus? Is it just an invitation to say a prayer? Is it just an invitation to make him part of our life? Where it suits me, when it suits me, and how it will fit into my life. And scripture reveals a very different way. We're invited to follow the Jesus as revealed in Scripture, to be his disciple, to be a Talmudim, as it says in the Hebrew, which means being an apprentice. We are learning under Jesus. We're learning his way. We're learning what it means to follow him. And Jesus invites us to follow him on this way, to learn to be like him. So, I, I, like many others, I, I've been really influenced in this regard by the work of Dallas Willard. Some of you have heard me quote him. I've mentioned him. 
Um, he was really one of the ones that really, he's, he's at least lately talked a lot about this uh, in the past generation, in the past decades, I should say. But he speaks of coming to Jesus as nothing short of a revolution, but a revolution, he says, that is ultimately about the heart. And he, and he says, it's, it's nothing short of that. Jesus' way is a way that leads to transformation of the heart who then naturally bring the presence of Jesus and his kingdom to wherever they are. That's normative Christianity. And from this, he says, churches, expressions of this life, they spring up to testify to communities of this reality of what Jesus is doing. Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound amazing as Jesus, as we are learning under his way, that these communities are impacting others around them to this way? And this begins with following the way of Jesus. It is a way of life. It's progressive and it's ongoing transformation in us to become more like Jesus. Taking on his character, having more of the spirit at work within us, being led and walking and keeping in step with the Spirit who's leading us and guiding us, all of that. Dallas Willard, he speaks of this as spiritual formation. He He uses that word, and I love that word. Because the truth is, all of us are being formed. Every single person on planet Earth is being formed. The question is, what are you being formed into? And this spiritual transformation is this shaping and reshaping of the inner life of the heart as Jesus is at work within us. This is what our culture needs desperately. Like, I don't even know if there's a word that can convey how much our culture needs it. This is what our churches need to pursue. This is what we as his people need to recover. There's also clarity here. Jesus is saying that he's the only way to God. The only way. He is the only way, he says, to eternal salvation. It's not, it's not that Jesus is the best option and that there are some other okay options that are, you know, they'll kind of maybe get you there. You know, they'll get you through. You should pick Jesus, but you know, if you don't pick Jesus, this, this way is, it's, it's okay. It's not as good, but it's not that. It's not as long as I'm a good person because I have a good heart, I'll be okay. That's a complete fallacy because our hearts are wicked, wicked and sinful and need desperate redemption from Jesus. What about all those people that are kind and loving? You know, we run into them on the street. They're kind and loving people, but they, they follow Vishnu or Hare Krishna or, or Buddha or they follow Muhammad or, or you know, they... They're they're Jewish people who haven't accepted Jesus. What about all those wonderful people in the world? They need Jesus desperately. Now, the accusation is, yeah, this is that's really narrow-minded. Like, that seems really exclusive. That seems fundamentalist. That sounds like we should really just put you over there. Jesus wasn't ambiguous. Clearly, he said multiple times, I am the way to God. So I was thinking about this. Is it restrictive if it's the truth? 
Like if Jesus came and told us the absolute truth, is that not the kindness and goodness of God? Because he didn't restrict it to a certain group. He said it's open to all. I'm the way, but it's open to all. Is that not the best news? Because Jesus sees reality. And, and this is the challenging nature of the claim for us as we hear this as followers of Jesus. If it's true, then others need to hear and be invited. To shut our mouths and say nothing to those who need Jesus is cruel. Penn Gillette, you might know him, he's the magician of Penn and Teller fame. He noted a few years ago, he said, how much do you have to hate someone not to tell them about hell and everlasting life if you believe that it is absolutely true? Jesus says he's also the truth. So John 18, we have this exchange. Jesus stands before Pilate. This conversation is so compelling for the days that we live in that he had with Pilate. Pilate couldn't understand why are the religious leaders bent on killing this man. And so he questions Jesus. And Jesus, he speaks, he says, I, I have a kingdom that is not of this world. And Pilate responds, says, you are a king then? That's a huge claim in the Roman Empire. That's like, that's punishable by death. He says, you're, you're, you're claiming to be a king. Jesus doesn't shy away. He says, I am a king, and I came to testify to the truth. And there's this shocking response. Pilate looks at him and says, what is truth? This is the question that's being answered today. In the absence of not knowing the truth, the way we create our own truth, and whatever that is. There is this interview lately that Oprah had with um, Elliot Page, who used to be Ellen Page. She's transitioned, and she began the interview by saying, okay now, Elliot, tell us your truth. And I thought, yeah, that's, that's it right there in a nutshell. Truth is up to the one who claims to know it. My truth, your truth, their truth, and this is leaving us in a mess of confusion. It's everywhere, and it's seeping into our lives as well. It's my life. I choose how I'm going to live my life. Satan, from the beginning, right from the beginning, did God really say? Sowed the seed of doubt into Eve. God is not trustworthy. God is not good. God is not for you. You need to take this matter into your own hands. You need to follow your own path. Eat the fruit and you'll be like God. Jesus calls Satan the father of lies. He says in John 8, there is no truth in him. He was a liar from the beginning. Jesus is revealing to us here that we will either choose subjective truth or objective truth in our lives. And he's revealing, I'm the source of all truth. Truth is in massive trouble these days. Now, you might go, is it, is it really, like, is truth, 
Is it worse than it used to be? Is it worse now? I'm not, I, I don't know. Like, a, how do you quantify that? I'm not sure. But most people see the need to speak the truth as relative to how it will affect them, including Christians. If telling the truth is going to cause me pain, if it's going to make me uncomfortable, or it's going to expose something in me that's going to bring up negative emotion, we just might kind of skirt that and, you know, justify the truth to not go there and keep the truth hidden. Where lying is advantage, advant, advantageous, sorry, advantageous for our own good, we are prone to avoid truth. We see this all the time, everywhere. It's, it's not just outright lies, half-truths. It's presenting things in a certain light to avoid the truth. And it's very, very deceptive. The absence of truth in our culture right now seems as normative as breathing. I mean, that's why people just, it's, it's almost laughable if you bring up, like, do you actually believe that a politician tells the truth? What do you, truth is relative now. And I, and I think what, this is why, one of the reasons why Jesus' claim here, I am the truth, can seem so altruistic and hard for people to accept. Like, we know that we ourselves struggle with truth. We know that. You know that. You're like, I know that I struggle with truth at times. I know that I struggle with, with presenting things in a certain light. And we know everyone else does as well. And so we might look at this claim and we go, I don't know, I'm, I'm suspicious of that claim. And so, then truth becomes relative. What will be your truth? What will you put your hope and faith in, is the question. At times in the Gospels, Jesus says over and over again, he'll say at times, believe in me. The reason he says that is because what we believe directs our lives. What you believe, it, it directs your free will. If you want to look at what you believe, look at your actions and choices. That will tell you what you believe, what drives you. It's of massive significance. But if we believe this claim of Jesus alongside the others, then we must follow him. To believe, we must follow him. Jesus' truth becomes our truth. Meaning truth is not subjective. It's not relative. It's not determined by the winds of culture or others around us. No, truth is determined by Jesus. And this is the question that arises from Jesus' claim. Where will we look for truth? So the last thing that Jesus says here, the last claim is he says, I am the life. There's, there's this documentary that we, uh, we just started watching. I started watching it with Samuel. And uh, it's on Disney, but it's, it's by National Geographic. It's called Free Solo. I don't know, have any of you heard of this documentary, Free Solo? It's a guy by the name of Alex Hanold who he is, so he free solo climbs. And he has done major, major expeditions, but he, he undertakes to climb El Capitan, El Cap, in Yosemite Valley in California, which is like, if, you've, if you know what that is, it's, it's like the premier climbing wall in, in all of the world, I think. Free solo climbing, free solo, means no ropes. Zero ropes. 
3,200 feet in the air, and you are one missed hold, one missed grab away from falling to your death. I, like, I'm watching, I'm going, this is insanity. Like, it's hard to believe that someone actually, there's guys that do this. And he realizes that, like, that he's a moment from death. One, one of the other guys in the documentary, Tommy Caldwell, who's a, a, a really famous climber, but he climbs with ropes. He said, people who know exactly what he's doing are freaked out. That was what he said. And, and so he's in the documentary, Hanald, he says, like, does it feel different to be up there with a rope? He's asked that, and he says, well, obviously it's a much higher consequence. <laughs> he's like, but he says, I'll never be content if I don't at least put in the effort. He cannot imagine that he couldn't do this. He, ha- he has a girlfriend who is kind of unsure about what he's doing, as you can imagine. And he's like, she's like, you know, would you, would you basically, like if you had to choose, he's like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not going to stop free soloing. Sorry, I can't. He can't imagine life if he wasn't able to free solo. He lives amidst crazy extreme danger to climb free solo. The questions of meaning, purpose, passion, fulfillment, joy, they are all wrapped up in the question of life. Where do I find life? Where do I find meaning? Where will I find purpose? What stirs passion inside of me? How do I experience fulfillment and joy? These are all the questions that we have to answer. It's not if we will answer them, it's what our answer will be. We, we all have to come to the place where we ask, do I believe that the abundance of life is found in Jesus? Or do I believe that it's found elsewhere? What will I seek? And if we don't come to the place where we believe this in the depths of our soul, that in Jesus is the abundance of life, that it's in the fiber of our being, we won't follow his way or follow his truth. If Jesus' claims that he is the life, like earlier when he says in John, I am the resurrection and the life, if those were backed up by him being brutally killed, put on a cross, dead, buried, and then being raised to glorious new physical resurrection three days later, that's of really crucial importance. Tim Keller says that's 